this will help me uh, know where we're at as we go along. Um, so I'm just going to keep that there as a reference. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, good to be here uh, with you. Uh, I yesterday was at a Bible quizzing tournament uh, with our youth. I, I quiz master and I help to coach the program, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. It's uh, really good to, to hang out with them, to, to be together, and to hear them quote God's Word all day. Um, there are opportunities for devotions. Um, there are opportunities to reach in and uh, make an impact in people's lives. And there are always opportunities to learn more and more Scripture and to hear God's Word, uh, which is always powerful and always a wonderful experience. There are days in Bible quizzing when not everybody studies quite as much. Um, and so there, there's always the... The Sunday school answer where if you stand up and you don't know what to say, what do you say? Jesus. Today that is the answer to the questions that we're going to be asking because we are moving from uh, talking about God the Father, uh, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, into talking about Jesus. This is um, phase two, uh, week three, but phase two of uh, looking into the Apostles' Creed. Um, and exploring the second member of the Trinity. As Christians, we believe in a triune God um, made of three persons um, who is essentially one um, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, who all come together and, and are one. Uh, so this is uh, the beginning of what it, uh, what it means to look at um, Jesus. So what I want to do is a quick review um, and then... Uh, we'll move into um, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so we started out, uh, we were talking about um, the uh, belief in God the Father Almighty. And I hope that's um, big enough. It, it's looking smaller on here than it does on the laptop. So as long as you can read, um, uh, belief in, in God the Father Almighty is the, the first declaration of uh, of the, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we looked at what that means, that the love that God has for us as a, a father figure, as a parent. Um, what, can, uh, what can that mean for us and how does that change the way that we live? Um, so we looked at that first. Um, we added um, that uh, we need to look at um, the crea- God as the creator of heaven and earth. Um, the, the creation that he brought about was not something that was unholy and that was untouchable and that was apart from him. Rather, it was caused by him. The creation uh, was an act of God that he chose, uh, that he willingly brought about. And it is something that he loves um, with all of the love of a father and of an almighty God. And so he is the creator of the heaven and earth, um, of heaven and earth, um, this week we move into uh, another part, and it is that uh, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And we'll be moving on in, in future weeks to talk about um, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's really important not to move quickly past this statement of Jesus' identity and this statement of our belief in an incarnation of Christ. The divine coming and becoming fully human. So we're going to look um, this uh, week at what is involved in that part of the creed. Um, our belief in Jesus Christ as Lord. Our belief in, uh, in that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And uh, we'll look at what that means. Um, both uh, what it 
actually means and then what it also means um, for our lives today. So there are um, three uh, themes that we want to focus on. Um, first of all, uh, the, the core of, uh, of this is that um, Christ, Jesus Christ, um, as the, the Son, uh, the second member of the Trinity, is the only begotten Son of God. There's a lot of meaning behind that. Um, there's a lot of meaning also in this idea that he was made human. He came down to earth and was made fully human, just as he remained fully divine in the process. And thirdly, uh, we, need, we will look at uh, why Jesus' life is just as important as his death, and why we can't move quickly through this creed to look at the death and resurrection before understanding the power of Jesus' life on earth. So those are the three things we'll be looking at today. So let's start um, by, by looking at uh, what it means to believe in um, Jesus Christ, um, the Son, as the only begotten Son of God. Um, we have this idea, um, begotten is kind of a, an older English word maybe. Um, uh, it's uh, based off of the, the Greek, which is where uh, most of the, the Greek and the Latin, which is where most of the, the original theology was done. Um, and its, gener- its most generic meaning is um, uh, bringing about or to be brought about. It is the way in which God um, brings uh, about the Son. So the, the way in which you may be familiar with it already is maybe in a, a genealogy. You may have uh, read through the lists in the Bible and in the King James Version. It's this person beget this person beget this person. So that is in the, um, in the human way how our... Uh, it's, it's related to descent um, um, and, and, and genealogies. Um, in uh, relationship uh, inside the Trinity between the Father and the Son, it's this idea of bringing about. The fact that God is a Father means that there must also be a child, and in this case, it is the Son. So the Son is um, defined by his relationship to the Father, and that is who he is and that is what he is. Um, and he is the object of love of the Father. The Father loves deeply and is connected deeply through love to the Son. So the Son is the object of love. The Son is um, tied to the relationship of, um, or he is defined by, excuse me, he's defined by his relationship to the Father. So we have this idea that Jesus is begotten, uh, that the Son is begotten and that he is brought about. Um, the second thing that we have is that um, uh, the the second piece of the identity of the Son that we need to understand is his oneness with the Father. Uh, he is um, entirely one with the Father. Um, there is no um, difference in what they are. There is a difference in who they are because they're defined by their relationships. But what they are is the same, and we believe that they are the first two members in that Trinity and that they are the Godhead. So there is nothing in between them. So we have so far that, God, uh, that the Son is begotten, that the Son is one with the Father. Um, the third piece of this is that God, uh, the Son is the perfect image of the Father. Uh, he uh, shows to the world in his incarnation, uh, which we'll talk about more later, uh, who God is. And he shows um, just by his nature who the Father is. Because he is loved, we can see that the Father loves. And because he is who he is, we know who the Father is. So he is the perfect image of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, uh, the first part says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. There's this analogy um, 
that that talks about the radiance um, as if uh, I think it was a, a guy named Gregory of Nyssa who was a fourth century uh, theologian. He he used this analogy and he said, if the father were light, the son would be the radiance of that light. The sun would be the brightness that comes into a room. So you know when a light is turned on, you know the effects that light has and the the radiance and the brightness of that light is the sun. Without its brightness, light would be nothing. And without the sun, the father would be nothing. So they are directly tied to one another in that way. I have a picture of uh, candles uh, right there because there was another theologian who was um, before that, uh, before Gregory, and his name was Basil, or Basil, I don't know how he preferred it, but um, <laughs> the, uh, he, he believed um, that one of the best analogies we had for the Son, uh, what, for the, the relationship between the Son and the Father, is this idea of a candle being lit. Um, it's uh, this passing of a, a flame uh, from one wick of a candle to another wick of a candle. And, and you can see, uh, or you can know that nothing is lost in between that exchange. It is the same exact thing, that flame passes from one to another. And although they are separated in their space, uh, they, they are one uh, in what they are. Um, and they become, in, in two different ways, um, you know, a flame that, that illuminates the candle that they're on. So he says that's the best way to understand how the, the essence of who the Father is transfers into the essence of who the Son is. Um, so there's that, uh, that relationship. So that's a bit about who the Son is. Um, if we understand that the Son is uh, divine, then where do we get this idea of Jesus, a person who is very clearly human? So that's where we're going to uh, go next, is we're going to look at the, uh, that idea that Jesus is human. We, we understand now a bit more about what it means for God, uh, for the Son to be the only begotten uh, Son of God, and now we will look at what it means for Him to be made a human. To do that, we have to understand how radical it is for Him to be called a human. It would be complete insanity for anyone of Jesus' time, anyone of Jesus' um, religious background um, in Jewish culture to call a human divine. That just would not have even entered people's minds. And it was uh, completely countercultural, completely radical to be able to do this. And yet there are these characters throughout the Bible that actually do it. It was the it was the main critique of the Pharisees. They say you can't you can't say that you are the Son of God. You can't do this. And and then there was this woman um, in John chapter eleven, Martha, who looks Jesus in the eye and says, "I know that you are the Son of God." And it's this moment where Jesus is acknowledged on earth for his humanity, one who has come, and for his divinity. One who has come from God. And in that moment, it's the, one of the revelations where Jesus comes down and is revealed on earth as who he really is. Fully divine and fully man. But this is completely radical. As Christians, we declare belief in this mysterious full divinity and full humanity of Jesus Christ. And it makes Christians really unique among all uh, religious belief systems. Um, we can think of Greek gods, you know, who, um, who fight each other and who 
uh, come down and have, have children by uh, human uh, wives or whatever it may be, and that we get this idea of demigods. And this is not the idea that we're trying to get across here. Um, it's really different because those were half-gods. Uh, the idea of a demigod is that they are not fully divine. What we have here is someone who is fully divine and fully human. Uh, and that sets Christianity totally apart. And it really comes down to what the heart of the Apostles' Creed actually is. As we get into who Jesus is and his death and resurrection to come, we can understand that we believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And we get into that idea that that love of the Father necessitates, or um, it, it provides that opportunity, it, it calls God's love out, and it puts it into the world for us in human form. The, uh, there, another uh, theologian, it's another Gregory. Uh, these guys were bishops at the same time in different parts of the world. Gregory of Nyssa, who we talked about earlier. This is Gregory of Nazianzus, and he had a, a really beautiful way of saying this uh, and summarizing it. He said, He who is now man was once the uncompounded. What he was, he continued to be. What he was not, he took to himself. In the beginning he was uncaused, for what is the cause of God? But afterwards, for a cause, he was born. And that cause was that you might be saved. Now, it may be easy to, to jump and say um, the, the, only, the saving act there is that he might die on the cross. But, once again, we can't move past Jesus' life. He was born... As a young child, he didn't appear as a man who would then go and die on the cross. He was born as a child, and he lived every part of life that we have to live. And he was brought in uh, into the world in that way. So, the next portion uh, of this that we want to look at, or the next core theme that we, or understanding that we need to have is why Jesus' life is just as important as his death. First of all, uh, we talked about how Jesus is the exact representation of God's being and the perfect image. Uh, Jesus renews God's image in humanity. That's a theme that we get from uh, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and you, if you're interested in turning there, we'll, we'll be focused in um, verses 15 and 20. But the whole uh, paragraph there, if you're interested to, to read through as we go along, um, talks about what it means for Christ to come as the perfect image of God. And so uh, we have there quoted, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's verse 15. And 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. To understand why this is important, we have to understand um, that in the beginning, when God created everything, he created mankind in the image of God. He said, let us make mankind in our own image, and his creative act was to put his image into the world and to allow us as human beings to carry that image into all the places that we would go. Quickly, took, we don't know exactly how long, but in the scripture we only have about a chapter and a half before that gets really, really messed up. And the, the image of God... Um, kind of tanks, goes way downhill. And the, this idea that humanity can bear the image of God is quickly shown to be a, 
it can happen. So it's not that God created something flawed, but it showed that it's, it's hard and nearly impossible for humans to do on their own. And when humanity decided to turn away from the God and the turn away from God and the instruction that He had given, it became impossible for humanity to do this, uh, to carry the image of God to the world. So their role in creation uh, was corrupted. We see at the fall that these things are broken away. Um, No longer can they carry out all of the functions that God has asked them to do. He said to uh, till the earth. And we see that tilling the earth becomes a lot harder. He said to be fruitful and multiply. And we see that it becomes a lot harder to be fruitful and multiply. And those are the consequences of the curse. So there's this need for uh, rebranding. Um, for this, uh, a new sense in which we can be the image of God. The second theme uh, that we can pull out of uh, Colossians 1, uh, 15 is this idea that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So what does it mean for uh, Jesus to be the firstborn? First of all, it means that our hope in him, or our hope is adoption to the same, same sonship as Jesus himself has. So when we, uh, in baptism, when we declare our belief in the creed, and we say that we believe in the Son, uh, we are included in him. When we, are, when we are put down under the water, we are put to death with him. And we are, when we are raised up out of the water, we are raised into life with him. There's this idea... Um, so that's that's the first part, the first part, and that is our our hope in in Jesus. Um, it also means for Jesus to be the firstborn. Um, that there's this. Um, well, I'll explain it this way. The the at the beginning, going back to the original creation again, and uh, bringing it back to Genesis. Uh, G, or God, when He created, um, before He created, it said that um, there were. The, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, the surface of the, uh, the face of the deep is, uh, depends what translation you're working with. But there's this idea of a chaotic water that nothing has really been formed out of yet. In Hebrew culture, uh, in Hebrew mythology uh, at the time, there was this the, uh, tie between the waters uh, that were before creation and also the the waters um, that are involved in, in childbirth. Um, when a child is, uh, comes out of the womb with all of the water, as they called it, um, that would come out. Um, and there, there was this idea that uh, the creation similarly was brought out of its own waters and brought into existence, just as human life also came into existence. We see this paralleled when the, the angel uh, appears to Mary and says to her that the Holy Spirit will come over her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And there's this idea that once again, the Spirit is hovering over the water, this time the waters of childbirth, to bring about a new creation and to start something new here on earth where full divinity and full humanity can exist together. After the creation in Genesis, God declares an image bearer, as we talked about earlier. He says, humanity is to take my image into the world and to be that image and to, be, uh, to show what I am to the world and to carry myself uh, throughout the world. Um, and at the second, uh, or in this parallel story with Mary, we see that after that creation, 
uh, Jesus, uh, the Son, as the perfect image of God, will be the, the new image bearer to the creation. So what we're going to do next is we're going to look at uh, the third theme. I, I would say that we can pull out of this uh, this verse uh, from Colossians. Sorry, the second? I don't know. It depends how you count. Forgetting what I'm doing here. Um, uh, there's another theme <laughs> that we're going to, to look at um, in, from this verse that we can pull out. It's a, it's a big theological word. It's also a music word that some of you may recognize. Um, it's called... Uh, what do we have here? Am I a little behind up there? That's where we're supposed to be. Uh, recapitulation. Recapitulation is both a theology word and a music word. Um, in music, it comes uh, after the movement's development. Um, I'm looking all this up. I don't know a lot about music, um, but I found that this was true, and I thought it was a, a good way to explain this idea because I know the theology side. So in music, um, recapitulation comes after a movement's development. Um, it usually returns a, a movement to its original key, and it ties together the themes that we've heard throughout the piece, and it brings all things to a head uh, at the end of the piece um, to remind us of what has happened and to bring everything together once again. In theology, it's the idea of going over the same ground, similar to music, where you, where you come and you pull together these key themes, you repurpose and you renew what has already happened, and you bring it all together in a head, in one, uh, one head. Christ, Christ's life is the recapitulation of humanity. It's returned to this home key the key in which God created and the way in which we were supposed to be attuned to who God was and who God is. In Christ, we align ourselves with God by living in tune and in key and in perfect harmony with Him. We perfectly, by living in tune with Him, we perfectly bear His image, bearing in us all the images that were instilled in us. So Christ came he modeled that life for us by being the perfect image of God. He modeled for us what it means to live in tune with God. And he calls us to a radical way of being holy according to who he is and all that that means because of recapitulation. This idea that all things, all of these themes that were supposed to be part of humanity, all of these um, themes that God has called us to throughout Scripture and all of the, the ways in which we have gotten lost, God, Jesus came to bring it all back uh, and to bring it all to a head. And to do that, he had to live a full life here on earth. Jesus appeared as a child because he came to save children. Jesus appeared as a young person because he came to save young people. Jesus appeared as a man because he came as a, as a full-grown person as a man to because he came to save adults he came to save everyone that is here and in each moment as he was going over that same ground again he was returning it to the way it ought to be and he invites us through faith in him to live into all that that means the third um <laughs> i don't know if we're at three or four right now but 
the, the next theme that we want to look at is this idea of, uh, it's another theology word, and this one you may be more familiar with, um, that is the, uh, the idea of reconciliation. Um, where uh, It's this idea where God can bring back to himself um, what has been lost or what has drifted away. Um, yesterday, I, I mentioned before I was at a quiz tournament, and we were uh, going over Second Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, through nine were our emphasis, uh, and one of the questions had to deal with had to do with um, chapter five, and it really stood out to me how much we talk about, um, or how much Paul, excuse me, how much Paul talks about this idea of reconciliation in Second uh, Corinthians. And so I was curious. I went back to the passage. I highlighted for us um, several of the places that he does that. Um, and you can see just within, I think, four verses there, he, he says it at least, uh, he, he brings up the idea, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I included the, this idea of a new creation and being new also in that. Um, and I'll explain that. But this is so important. Um, this idea that we have a ministry of reconciliation. And so let's, let's dig into w- what all that means. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, you can read along. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And this, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Last week, Dr. Thomas led us through this idea that the creation is a good thing that God has brought about. And in the Son, we see that he cares so much that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believed shall not perish but have eternal life. And that through that Son, as we see in Colossians, He can bring about this work of reconciliation so that all things can come back to Him. This idea of reconciliation is best summed up by understanding um, the, uh, the concept of oneness. God has been separated from His creation, but He longs to be one with it. In the same way the creation groans as it eagerly awaits uh, for the adoption to sonship, for the, re- um, for the redemption of the bodies of the people of God. The creation itself longs to be with God again, as we see in Romans chapter 8. And you can go look there for some homework if you want some. Um, there's this power in understanding that God wants to be one again with His creation. So what we can gain from this passage and from the, the, the other passages that we've been looking at is that as we talked about at the beginning, the nature of the Son is to be begotten or to be brought about. The work of the Son in the Incarnation is bringing back and bringing about again through this idea of recapitulation. The nature of the Son is that He is one with the Father, as we talked about with the analogy of light and the candle. And the work of the Son, 
in the incarnation is to make all things one with the Father through this idea of reconciliation. His identity and his work are beautifully inseparable. And we see that through the incarnation, through the life of Jesus. So I want to summarize the three points that we've covered. The, the fact that Jesus is the, the only begotten, uh, that the Son is the only begotten Son of the Father. Um, that He is defined by His relationship to Him. Um, that He is made human. And that His life is just as important as His death. In light of the Son's identity, His humanity, and His life, all as the perfect image of God, we need to take new meaning unto the declaration that we have decided to follow Jesus. When we believe, when we declare our belief through the Apostles' Creed that we believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, we are declaring that we are ready to follow Jesus. And when we are following Jesus, we are following Him along this path of recapitulation where He has gone back over the same ground and He has paved the way for us to follow in His image exactly who He wants us to be. So as we prepare to explore what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means uh, in the coming weeks, take new meaning and take new understanding of what it means in your own life to follow Jesus throughout His life. And take joy in the fact that He has gone before you, that He has gone to every place in front of you, and that He has gone back over this same ground to give you a new song to sing, to give you a new path to walk, and to bring you back into oneness with God the Father through reconciliation. Amen.